Yo, yo, what's good, BTB Army? Welcome to another brand new episode of Behind the Baller. My name is Ben Baller, not Ben Humble. This is the show where I rarely talk about jewelry. I talk more about life as a dad, of course, about business. I give business tips. And uh, here's one before we start the show. Making a million dollars is easy. Keeping it is not. Okay? And by the way, you, you guys already know, I haven't said it in a long time, but you have to make it a great day. Today is Monday. Make it a great day. Do you want to know why? Because this is not your practice life. All right? Ladies and gentlemen, we have a fire show for you today. Coming to you live from the city of San Francisco. Yes, sir. By the way, we are getting closer to episode 200, but uh, this is the weekend wrap-up, all right? This is episode 186, and on today's episode, we have WNBA champion Renee Montgomery. She's on here spitting game. She's doing all kinds of big things. My Tatis card is out now. Go cop that bitch, okay? We made Doge history today. My first official post-COVID meet and greet is tomorrow in the stack. That's Hayward for those of you who don't know. My Lakers are still uploading and it was my son's seventh birthday this weekend and much more on a high Doge Phoenician episode of the world famous award winning podcast. Yo, Miles, uh, Miles, Mr. I'm about to get married. You are less than a week from being married, bro. What's good, man? Fuck all that, y'all. Let's fucking go. So, yes, um, no offense, man. You know, Miles, I'm giving you shit, bro. You know what I'm saying? I've seen some uh, Niners talk. And I'm in the Bay right now, you know what I mean? So yes, uh, as of right now, your boy, the Korean Tommy Lasorda has made Doge history with the first official Major League Baseball endorsed Topps baseball card with a Shibu Inu on it. All right. All right, guys. Not to mention one of the best current players in baseball, Fernando Tatis Junior, yo, we got him in the fucking sixty-three. Low, you know, saying, come on, man, he in the sixty-three Impala, drop top, low riding with the fucking Dogecoin with Shiba Inu sitting shotgun. Stop playing, y'all. Card is fire. You know, I use that brown and gold theme and shit. You know, what I'm saying represent San Diego. You know, it's all rivalry with the baseball shit. But I got love for the six one nine. Okay, this card is available until Thursday morning. But do not sleep. Get that card now. Okay. Now, if you're paying attention, I dropped the Dogecoin chains this weekend. Did a little quick strike shock drop. Okay, and the diamond one of three versions sold out. In fact, I could have made a one of ten, and those would have sold out. All right, we made 50 plain Jane gold only Dogecoin chains, and they're actually numbered on the back one of 50, five of 50, all that shit, everything right. And we held some for our flagship store reopening, so there will be some when we open up the store, so don't trip, you know what I'm saying? But there's not like you know, we're, we're limiting how many we put out because we want to have some, you don't want to spread it out. So if you buy my Tatis card, then you can enter a giveaway drawing. For a gold plain Jane Dogecoin chain. 
All right, that fucking rhymed. Okay, this is the most expensive prize that I've given so far to date. Okay, it will be Dogecoin Chain five of fifty because this is my fifth card. All right, it's a six thousand dollar chain. It is the best prize I've given so far throughout Project Seventy. And yes, if you buy one card, that means you get one ticket or you get one entry. Okay, if you buy twenty cards, you get twenty entries. It's simple as that. Okay, the winner of the chain will be announced this Friday. If I were y'all, I would jump in this motherfucker because the card is fire. Dogecoin, we getting it in right now. Now, speaking of Doge and crypto, cryptocurrency kept continuing to show signs of ulcerative colitis, reminiscent of Michael Rappaport and me, yours truly, the Korean John Cusack. It just kept shitting all weekend, okay? But most of the coins are back up from the danger zone. Right as of this morning, they they, they seem kind of cool. I bought the dip at twenty four cents, and this time, thank God. All right, I got in at, at a cool little ticket, so you know I'm, I'm back. I'm good. Okay, I'm happy. But like I said, not just Doge, right? Ethereum, XRP, uh, Cardano. You know, there's a few other things. Binance Coin. They got a bright future. Okay, but Doge especially, we got smart contracts coming up. We got a big fucking announcement from Tesla, I'm assuming. But more exchanges, obviously, more importantly, Coinbase is adding Dogecoin to their exchange, making it more accessible to people, meaning more people can buy it. And it's just, it's here to stay. It's a currency, y'all. Look, people say, oh, what the fuck is utility? You could buy something with it. In fact, you couldn't buy the Diamond Doge chains, the one of threes, right? Those are motherfucking $12,000. Okay, I made everyone pay in Doge, all right? Motherfuckers had to give me 30,000 Doge coins, what, ranging between 27,000 and 30,000 because the market was jumping, okay? But to be honest, once folks realize, which I've already realized, that our US dollar is just shit, and pretty much most banking systems and most currency across the world in any urban country is just falling apart, folks will see the light. Okay, I've mentioned this too many times. Banks just don't have the interest rates to keep up. And back in the day, you could live off your savings. Like I remember having my little savings account. Like, all right, cool, I have this. And you, you could calculate it. Oh, well, after this time, I'll live off you know the interest and this will be cool and this will accumulate. But no, not anymore. Fuck all that. Now savings accounts, interest rates, doesn't even, they don't even cover inflation, okay? So you gotta take matters into your own hands. Which brings me to this. I love hearing this shit when a stupid motherfucker says, uh, like when I say something, be like, oh yeah, man, fuck, I got a Tesla on order. And people say, nobody asked you. Nobody asked that. Oh, really? Okay. And you say, oh, who cares? Um, how about shut the fuck up, Goofy? How about I say what the fuck I want to say? Okay. If I waited to speak or only spoke when I was asked, like to speak or ask something, like no cap, I'd be broke today. Like, for real, okay? Fuck all that shit. When I got something to say, I'm going to say it. And I'm going to get to it. Fuck all that foreplay, all that courteous, oh, let's, the forward is by the, no, no, fuck all the intro to the intro, okay? If I see food and it's time to eat, I'm eating. And by that, it was a metaphor. I mean, I'm talking real shit and I'm spitting nothing but 16. I'm spitting bars, Okay? There's a ton of information out there that I do not volunteer. You know, people think like, oh man, you told this, this, and this. What's crazy is there's a lot of shit that I don't say. I just got a lot of shit to say. 
okay? But if I feel like talking, I do not wait for permission, all right? If I'm out of pocket, I might ask for forgiveness, okay? But even then, I don't give a fuck. Don't be such a sensitive little bitch, all right? And if someone has something important to say, and it's more important than the shit that you got going on, put in the fucking work, all right? If you're a peon, don't talk to a king, a lord, or a boss any sort of way. Don't get smart. Motherfuckers get all ready and try to do a little, you know, say this little cute shit and have one clap back out of 13,000 and then go back to the little fucking shitty ass apartment driving a fucking car with the gasoline coming out of the radio, right? Like, oh, why you gonna make fun of people, man? They're coming with no money. No, fuck that. I got no sympathy for nobody who ain't going out there and getting it. Most of the time, motherfuckers have sad stories. They really don't have a sad story. They out there expecting motherfuckers to do something for them. That ain't me. That ain't never gonna be me, Okay. I don't want to repeat it a thousand times that I worked a minimum wage job and I worked shitty jobs. That ain't never going to be me again. You want to know why? Because I didn't put in my dues and I'm better than that. And I'm always going to get to the money, period. All right? Don't be sensitive. Because if you're sensitive, you're just going to get bulldozed. All right? You'll get bulldozered in real life. Stop being a passenger all your life and get in the driver's seat, okay? Stop being a fan one time and get in the game. Now, damn, sorry to get y'all crazy, you know what I'm saying? Didn't you have my coffee yet, man? Speaking of game, we have a real amazing guest who's about to come on right now and bless our mics, and she's really about that action, boss. All right, so Miles, please cue in some LL, and let's get Renee a proper intro. Yo, BTB Army, as you know, this is a business podcast. So here's some game to help your business run more smoothly. When running a business, HR issues can kill you. Those you don't know, HR is human resources. Wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations, and HR manager salaries aren't cheap. They're an average of $70,000 a year. That's where Bambi comes in. Bambi, spelled B-A-M-B-E-E, was created specifically for small businesses. You can get a dedicated HR manager, craft HR policy, and maintain your compliance all for just $99 a month. That's a steal. With Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat. From onboarding to terminations, they customize your policies to fit your business and help you manage your employees day-to-day, all for just $99 a month. Month-to-month, no hidden fees, cancel anytime. You didn't start your business because you wanted to spend time on HR compliance. Let Bambi help. Get your free HR audit today. Go to Bambi.com slash baller right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's Bambi.com slash baller. Spelled B-A-M to the B-E-E dot 
com slash baller. BTB Army was good. We have a very special guest. Her name is Renee Montgomery. She is an icon. She played 11 years in the WNBA, but opted out of the 2020 WNBA season to be a catalyst for positive change. She created her Moments Equal Momentum campaign and has teamed up with More Than a Vote to tackle voter suppression in Georgia. Renee Montgomery is a broadcaster, podcaster, role model, NCAA champion at UConn, all-star and two-time WNBA champion in Minnesota and now co-owner and vice president of the Atlanta Dream. She is a winner. Renee is the true definition of a she-e-o. On May 21st, Renee launched her own NFTs, so please go and cop that now. Renee, what's good? Welcome to Behind the Baller. What's up? Okay, let me find out you giving me that professional intro. Let's go, man. Let's Look, go. most people don't even get two sentences. Even my homies who've done like, you know, billions in business. I'm like, I had to do that for you because you just, man, you're really a, a spectacular person. No, I appreciate that. That's all love. Like, I love when people show love, so I'm, I'm here for it. Yeah, so let, let's get right into it. Look, first question, is there anything you can't do? <laughs> Coming from the guy, like, I know you're not asking, see, if this is how it's going to go, we about to have to have a roast each other for how good we're doing because you, everything you touch literally turns to gold. But nah, I mean, for me, it's just, it's just doing different things, doing things differently. I think people see how you were, were supposed to move as athletes. Everybody was asking me since I was young, like, all right, when you get done with the WNBA, what you going to do? You going to coach? And I'm like, why do I have to be a coach? Like, you know, like I never wanted to coach. And so for me, like that, that was just like, I don't want to have to tell people and hope that they, they do what I'm saying. And I don't know if I have the patience for that. And, you know, I don't want to get in trouble. So I just never, I never wanted to be a coach. And, and so I always tell people I want to be an entertainer. And so for me, it's just doing things differently. So when you ask me what I can't do, that felt like a challenge. So I don't know, but I just like to do things differently. Nah, for sure. You know, so tell my followers, uh, where did you grow up? West Virginia. So I grew up in West Virginia where in elementary school, I was the only black student in the building. Uh, junior high, I think there was one other one. Shouts to Isaiah was good. Um, he was in there. It was me and him. But, you know, so I grew up in a very different, you know, style than especially what I'm living in now here in Atlanta, uh, which is lit. So I feel like I, I understand so many different cultures because I was submerged in one that just wasn't my own. Right, right. So obviously you grew up playing basketball and everything, right? Did you ever play any other sports? Yeah, I played soccer in high school. I really only played it, though, to get in shape for basketball. I got a hat trick or two, but it was just because, you know, when you're athletic and you're fast, you can just play almost any sport. I'm sure uh, you know that. Yeah, for You're sure. a former athlete, so you know, throw a ball to us. We got it. Yeah, um, yeah. So that, I would just say, but then I ran track, too. I ran hurdles. But I had to stop because I hurt my ankle and I wasn't trying to mess up stuff for basketball. Nah, for sure. So let's start up a little early, right? High school. You just said high school. So what was I like being a three-time state champion? It was crazy because so I went to school way out of my district. Remember, I told you when I grew up elementary school and junior high, there wasn't very many black students in the school. Then I go to a school that's about 40 minutes away from me. 
And there's not very many white students in the school. And it was pretty wild because I'll never forget. I only went there for one year, but I'll never forget. I was at the snack machine trying to just get a little snacky. And I was not getting bumped. And there was a fight that broke out. But the crazy part was one of the students was stabbing another student in the face with like a pencil. And so, yeah, crazy. So imagine me coming from where I came from. I was like, oh, snap. This is kind of wild. And then all of a sudden I got stuff on me. So they're like blood and stuff. So they're telling me, oh, yeah, you got to come to the office. Meanwhile, my friends was like, don't say nothing. I'm like, "Okay, (laughs) okay, so what's going on? So I had a culture shock, but it was lit because we won a championship that year. And then I transferred to another school that was closer to my district. And we won two more. I lost my senior year, which pretty much sucks. But um, yeah, so it it was different because it was experiences that like at each point, like a lot of people were mad that we were transferring schools because they were like, hey, this ain't even their district. They shouldn't be able to school hop. So I had to like take this baccalaureate program. So I'm in here taking the hardest classes known to man just to play basketball in high school. So that's what I think about when I think about those championships. God, hold on. What year was that when the person got stabbed in the face with a pencil? In my freshman year. And this is back when, like, I know now ninth grade is, like, freshman for most schools now. It used to be junior highs and high school. So most of the schools in my area, 10th grade started high school. And I wanted to go to high school my fresh, like, my ninth grade year. So, yeah, I was I was a ninth grader when that happened. I'm saying, what year was that, though? Do you know? what? what? Oh, 2000. So I graduated in 2005. So that had to be, like, 2001. God. Stand with a pencil. The fuck? In the so. face. And that was my thoughts. In the face. <laughs> so how did you end up at UConn? What made you decide to go uh, choose UConn? Uh, it's crazy because, you know, I'm from West Virginia. So imagine all of these college coaches trying to fly into our airport that has four terminals. You know, it's A1, A2, B1, B2. That's all we got. And so all of these coaches are you know, coming in and it was lit because I really didn't know if people would like how to get on the map being from West Virginia. You know, New York ballers already going to have a certain level of respect, the crossover, Cali people, you know, the shooting, the skill set. You knew that like every area, college coaches was always there. West Virginia, I don't really know about that. So we started playing AAU. We started having to travel because nobody was, was really seeing what we were doing in West Virginia. So we started the AAU circuit and we started winning and winning a lot. And so all of a sudden it went from one or two college coaches around the arena to now it's like the who's who's of college. You see Gino Ariema, you see Pat Summit, rest in peace. You see Gail Guest, of course, you see all of the, the major Tara Vanderveer. They're all sitting courtside at our AAU games because now they're trying to check out who we're playing against and us. And so it was pretty crazy because by the time I was a junior, I could pretty much pick any school in the nation to go to. Um, And when I went on my visit to UConn, my official visit, I had all my other visits planned after that. And I canceled all of them. Like once I went to UConn, I knew that's where I was going. And I just signed my junior year and was done with it. Damn, that's dope. Yeah, I didn't even know. Like, I mean, it was different because obviously, well, shit, I barely, barely, barely. Like I wasn't an All-American, so it was totally different. You know what I mean? I was all state, all city, all conference in football. But it was like it was a different thing, you know, because... What there position was, did you play? I played left corner. I mean, I played receiver and running back in high school, but, you know, we played two positions in, in, in high school. You play both ways. Yeah. Um, nowadays, I think they might be different. I'm not really sure. I don't really watch high school, but they based a, a TV show on Netflix and it went to CW on my high school football team. It's called All-American. Oh, what? Yeah. Have you seen it? It's, it's that black kid on there, um, Tay yeah. Diggs on there. Yeah, that's based on my high school. 
and actually my coach. And that's wild. <laughs> yeah, so it was a trip, right? So because you know that's just the way things were, and you know, come on, man, you was the only black. I was the only Asian around any black people ever. You know what I mean? So you know, around anything, you know, it just was. You know, there was a guy actually from around the same time I was uh I wasn't gonna make it to the pros, and I knew because I ended up having to go down to play. I wanted to play, so I played from D when I went to D two, so I can play. There was a guy named uh, Eugene Chung who came out of uh, Virginia Tech. And uh, when I think of Virginia Tech, because Nova has so many Koreans over there, I think about that crazy-ass fucking, uh, you know, that shooting out there. I'm like, fuck all that. But he was the first Korean person to get into NFL. I forgot where he got drafted and shit. But um, anyway, so, okay, so you went to UConn. Uh, what was your relationship like with, actually, with Coach uh, Gino Ariema? You know, I know he's a G. He's the OG. You know what I mean? I call him the God, I call him the Godfather because you know he got, he got the Italian ties. Don't I wouldn't mess with him. No, real he looks like a mafia job. dude. He looks like a Listen, <laughs> I felt very protected while I was there. I'll just say that. But nah, it was dope because it's crazy. People, you know, all the other players used to always joke about like he never yelled at me. Um, he says he was never even allowed to coach me until my senior year. Which could have been true in a sense of I was really close with one of our assistant coaches and I just rocked with her. But, you know, we had this relationship where it was like we were on the same page. And I knew that if he told me if he knew if he told me something, it was going to happen. Like and if I told him something, it was going to happen. And we just my senior year, we got so close that it was like we was it's just crazy when you're on the same wavelength as someone. Because it's like, you know what they're going to say before they say it. I know that everybody has a situation like that where they close with someone so much that you already know what they're going to think in certain situations. And it was like that with him. So when I was on the court, if I would come over, you know, on a free throw and he would be like, hey, you got to remember. And I could finish his sentence. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember last play. Yeah, I do that. Like, you know, what I mean, it was just like, yeah, yeah, I got you. And so it was like a proud moment. And even now, you know, he I don't even know if I should, could say this, but he has a master class that's coming out. And like, you know, for him, of all the players that have played for him and, and him picking a couple players and I'm one of them to be a part of his master class to show how he's a master at coaching. That's kind of wild. Like, you know, like that, no, that's so, crazy. you know, like, so to tell you how close we were in the relationship, like, you know, like this is, I've graduated. We had our 10 year championship anniversary or whatever, and we're still doing things together. So, you know, you just said your senior year, like, yo, you guys went 39 to no. Yeah. How? Crazy. No, like how? How the fuck you go 39 and 0? Like, that's crazy. All right, so I just told you, remember in high school, I won three championships, lost my senior year. So in college, it was flipped. Uh, freshman year, sophomore, junior year, don't win nothing. We get knocked out in the final four. And just so people put like understand, when you go to UConn, people don't ask you if you've won a championship. They ask you like, yo, how many championships did you win at UConn? So I only got one more chance to win a championship. That's literally my thought process going into my senior year. So I started making everything like we were talking about, like it's championship or bust for real, for real. <laughs> and my team, like my teammates and I had some lit teammates, Maya Moore, Tina Charles, they took it personal. They didn't want me to go out like that in the sense of being like one of the worst UConn classes ever to oh, not win. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. They want to make history the wrong way. So like that's the start of how we did it. We we had that mindset going in that like my teammates didn't want me to have that reputation. And then I didn't want to go out of there without one. Um, and it was scary literally the whole way because you don't want to be like, what happened with the Warriors? You like break a record. Oh, eight man. Nine, and then you go into the tournament and they go into man. the playoffs and you lose. Like don't nobody care that you was 83 and nine yeah. if you They could have been undefeated. Nobody gives a fuck. Like, 
come on. Like, so we undefeated. Now I'm almost even thinking like, you know what? It might even be better if we lose a game before we go to the tournament because like <laughs> this is getting kind of crazy, you know? So we go into the tournament undefeated and it's like, all right, cool. We win our first game, but it's just that nervous energy. I mean, you know, you're an athlete, but it's a relief when you win a championship. Like that's the first emotion. It's not even like happiness that people would necessarily think. It's like we've been grinding so long I'm relieved. And that's like, I had that nervous energy the whole time my senior year. And when we finally won, yeah, it was relief. Like it was wild. Damn. So you finally got the NCAA chip. And um, where were you on draft day? Like WNBA? New York. Yeah, we were in New York. And do you remember like, what's like the single thing that stands out about going number four that day to uh, Minnesota? I like I remember people were telling me um, like, you know, we don't know where you're going to fall. It could be number one all the way to number 10. We don't really know. It just depends. A lot of people are worried. Are you too small to play into the league? You know how it happens. Once you start getting to the pros, they start like analyzing every single thing about how do you jump? How tall are you? Can you shoot in this? Like, so they start breaking down all the analytics. What's and their so, basketball IQ? All that shit, man, is crazy. Like, Yeah. Like, you know, you're like now on the blocks, like the chopping blocks to like they're breaking it down. And so I'm hearing just like, yeah, great. You had an undefeated year, but we don't know what you're going to look like in the pros. And so I remember, and this is another thing that's crazy. We win the championship game and three or four days later, I'm sitting in the draft room. That's how quick it happens for women's basketball, just so people understand. So we had the championship parade, everything within two days. And then I'm flying, I'm driving to New York from Connecticut. They sent a car service for me to go to the draft. So you, it's a small window. and I, Jesus Christ. Yes, three or four days after you win the championship game. And so I just remember thinking like, dang, I hope my parents make it because they was at the Final Four. And remember, these are regular folks. So no, they I calling off. Yeah. They playing hooky. They trying to fly around and keep <laughs> up with me. And I'm glad they retired now so they bosses don't know. But yeah, they having to try to figure it out because it's hard keeping up with an athlete. And so I just remember my coach saying, Coach Ariama, he's like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it. Long story short, all of them made it and we're sitting in there. And then my second thought is, I don't want to be that athlete that's sitting in the room. I know we all seen that athlete that don't get drafted, sitting in there looking crazy. So I just know when I heard, you know, the first pick, Angel McCautry, the second pick, you know, Marissa Coleman, third pick, Christy Tolliver. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, I don't know what's going on. Like, am I really about to drop? Like, and remember... We just won a championship undefeated season. Like, I got an award, the Nancy Lieberman Award for the best point guard in the nation. And I'm like, am I about to drop out the draft? And I heard my name at number four, man. And it was just like, all right, let's get to work because folks really just don't know if I can make it here. Damn, yeah. I mean, you know, so you get in the league, right? And I'm just curious from my own personal reference. And I, I think the listeners, you know, who do follow sports and stuff, right? And, um, like, could you break it down? Like, what was it like being traded as a young player compared to later as being traded as a seasoned vet? Well, here's what's crazy. When I went to Minnesota, when they drafted me to Minnesota, I was like, all right, let's get to work. But my second thought was like, what is Minnesota? Where is Minnesota? Like, what? <laughs> like, like, where am I going? Like, I don't even, like, I know nothing about Minnesota. Right. So I, I was just thinking that, like, and that's just me being honest. And so I get there. And it's great. Like, it's not a bad situation. But I remember that the Connecticut coach had hit me like, yo, we're coming for you because there's a pro team in Connecticut for in the WBA. So I'm like, oh, that's what's up. Get me back to Connecticut. That's my second home. Let's go. 
And so it really, the deal couldn't go through that year. So I ended up playing my rookie season in Minnesota, but I kind of knew that I was going to be in Connecticut soon. So that, it was like, it was a good trade. I would call that was one of the like mutually beneficial trades. Minnesota won in the deal, Connecticut won in the deal. Now, later in life, that's where it gets a little wild because I got traded from Seattle to Minnesota. Like, so from, I went from Connecticut to Seattle, Um, but I got traded from Seattle to Minnesota I got traded while I wasn't practicing with the team because I, I had salmonella poisoning at the time. Oh, so, ima- yeah, it was ridiculous. So imagine one of the team um, staff members coming to my house. I'm in the bed. They're knocking the door like, hey, we need you to come in. I'm like, no, 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 I'm good. Coach already knows I'm sick. And they're like, nah, you need to come in. So when you hear that, you already know what's, like, what's going on. So I'm like, oh, Lord. And I get there. She tells me I've been traded. She's sorry about the timing. She knows I'm really sick. She hopes it works out. I'm like, all right, bet. My next coach calls me and I and she's like, all right, you ready? We're excited for you. I tell her, hey, coach, I'm really sick. She's like, girl, I don't care. Get on the plane. You got 48 hours. I'm like, whoo, all right. Like, so that one was tough because I had to play a WNBA game with salmonella poisoning. It Damn. was, I'll spare, I'll spare you guys the graphic details, but like it tears your stomach up. So it's just like very difficult to function as an athlete with no core. So that one was more so tough because it's like you get uprooted my family was visiting me at the time, and that ended up being a blessing because they packed up my whole condo, put it in my car, and shipped my car to me. So, man, sports is a wild thing because as fans see when when their favorite athletes get traded or something happens, man, that athlete is getting uprooted from, like, their whole home base, everything they know. And so, I don't know. It's a different experience when you're the athlete. Right. So then, <laughs> you know, saying all that to say this now, like, what was it like to win a championship for the team that drafted you? Yeah, that's crazy, right? Everything yeah. comes circle. Uh, it's crazy because I would say that's the year I got traded. So I got traded and I'm thinking, man, this sucks. I was loving Seattle. The teammates were a vibe. The city's a vibe. And then I'm all sad and, and I had to figure it out. We ended up winning a championship that year. <laughs> we ended up getting a private concert from Prince that year. You know, damn, at Paisley Park. Damn. Yeah, this limo party van and was like yeah come through we you know we want to put on a show for you guys and we're like what so we have to leave all of our phones at the door in real celebrity fashion and they allowed us to have some reporters to come in so that they could you know like write about it so there's articles written about it but I mean who would have thought when I was like going through it in Seattle with Salmonella that later that season I would be dancing on stage with Prince and that's like, and as we know, and that was in 2015 and in 2016, he ended up passing away. So it made it even crazier of a moment that we got to kind of have that with him. No, it's big, man. It's big. Can you explain to people, because people don't know the business side and other side of things, right? But could you explain to the people why WNBA players, even to this day, have to play overseas in the offseason? Oh, yeah. So, you know, the WNBA, it's our 25th anniversary. So just to put to apples, at this point in the NBA, we're, we are making more money than the NBA players made in their 25th anniversary. Now, we know that they're an old league, 75 plus years. We know that. But WNBA, we don't we don't really get the bread like that. But overseas, though, you have players making anywhere from, I mean, triple their WNBA salary to like quadruple. I mean, there's players making millions overseas. And I don't even mean like 
over multiple years. There's players that sign like million dollar contracts overseas, but in the WNBA, they might be getting a max salary. And this is before the new CBA of one hundred and ten thousand dollars. And so if you know that you're making one hundred and ten thousand dollars the whole WNBA season, of course, you're going to go overseas where you can make three hundred thousand, four hundred thousand, even up to a million dollars playing for a team overseas. And so usually when presented that option, WNBA players, yeah, we take it and we go overseas and you play for somebody different every year. I played in Russia for four or five years. That's my favorite place to play because they are about their business. They put you in a nice condo. You have a driver at all times. Like if I want a McDonald's at 2 a.m., calling my driver, he's going to be out there in 10 minutes. Like it's that type. Yeah, it's that type of lifestyle over there in Russia and they pay well. So a lot of people, you know, they wonder why go if you can play in the WNBA, but they cutting some checks overseas. Nah, for sure. You know what I mean? Um, I was going to tell you a little experience I had, but you know what? It's This is, this is about you, not about me. <laughs> no, I want to hear it. I, like I told you, I already said before we started, you lived a thousand lives. No, nah, it was 100. just a, you, you know. You said a thousand. So, you know, um, in football, we lost our program my junior year. So, because I transferred to a D2 school. Well, most like, because one, I knew I wasn't going to go to pros. I wasn't going to go. So I was like, look, I love film, and the cinematography department there is amazing. Nicholas Cage's dad is the dean of my film school, and his brother is obviously the most film, the famous director ever, the godfather, you know, Francis Ford yeah. Coppola. They're based in San Francisco. So I was like, look, I could go to film school here. I know it's not D1, but I'm going to play. So when I was playing football, I walked onto the basketball team. So I was the first Asian-American to ever play basketball and football in my university's history. So every preseason, we play three D1 teams, Obviously, USF, because it's you know right across the city. Played against like Howard, random people, Washington State. But every year, we played against Santa Clara. So two years in a row, I got to guard Steve Nash, right? So it's like kind of cool things. But when it was done, I was like, you know what? People are going and, and overseas was like a new thing. So I was like, all right, well, you know, back then, you know, go to China, you're getting 35000 You know, the seasons are real short. Get to play. So I went out there. First month, I was like, yo, I can't fucking be here. I, I just got hella sick. And the food is like, you know, like breakfast is like, 30 cents and I was like yeah no I'm good like it was just was it wasn't for me do you know what I'm saying there was no like you go now and it's luxurious and whatever it's not it wasn't the Stefan Marbury treatment you feel me so oh yeah no he runs it over there (laughs) yeah it was different it was different now back to the WNBA salaries and stuff do you think that's ever going to change so y'all can get at least like people can like girls can get you know 600 grand on a low end you know what I mean millions of like I mean it's got to right yeah, no, I do. I, I mean, you got to think about even now the NBA players are making $200 million contracts. That's directly because of the TV contract they sign. So you sign a big TV deal and the money trickles down. And so with the WNBA, it's about signing those big deals. It's about getting to where, all right, ESPN got to cut a big check because they have a certain percentage of games. And now TNT want to do the same, CBS Sports. It's about once we start getting those bigger deals, that's when that's where the money comes from. It's not, you know, a lot of people talk about attendance and different things like that. Nah, the money is in these brand deals and these sponsorship deals or these company deals where if you're paying a billion dollars to the NBA, well, now the players are making 200 million, you know, so that's it's coming. I mean, and it's coming faster than people think we're in a you know, we're in a new CBA where players are now making 220,000. So the max doubled, but yeah, obviously it's not where it's at. We're still flying regular commercial flights. We don't want to do that because I went from, at UConn, we took all private flights. So I went from literally in college, we're taking private flights everywhere to where you go to the WNBA and it's commercial. But I get it because they can't afford, like if you can't afford no. it as a league, 
can't afford it. But it's a different type of experience to go from, yeah, we were taking chartered flights everywhere. I don't care where we was going. We was taking a private flight. And now we're, you know, with the WNBA, they're not. Damn. Well, okay. So you were talking about West Virginia, you know, where you came from everything, right? And then you're talking about Atlanta is lit for you, right? Boom. So since signing a multi-year deal with Atlanta Dream, how has the city of Atlanta embraced you? Man, it's crazy because I've lived in Atlanta since the second year I was a pro. So I've had my house in Atlanta probably 10, 11 years now. Started out in Marietta and I was like, man, this is too far out. I need to be in action. So I moved down <laughs> for I moved down towards the city to Buckhead and I'm like, all right. I this love is Buckhead. Bad. Yeah, no, I hear you. Yeah. So I'm I'm in the thick of things, but I would have never guessed, like, you know, it's crazy because I told you I grew up in West Virginia. And side note, growing up in West Virginia, while I was submerged in, you know, a different culture, my parents went to an HBCU where they met. My mom was teaching at an HBCU for 30 plus years. My sister went to that same HBCU. So I knew like black excellence, what it looked like. And so when I came to Atlanta, I was like, oh, baby, I'm home. Like, that's kind of how I felt. Right. Like, oh, it's lit. <laughs> like, women that are running the show down here for real, for real. Like, Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, like, a lot of, like, the big business people in Atlanta are, like, black women. And I'm like, yo, this is crazy. And so I really, like, leaned into that. I'm like, yo, y'all doing stuff. Y'all are killing it. Um, I, like, when I honestly, when I opted out in 2020, that's where I really feel like the city was like, yo, we got you. Because I opted out and I was just like, yo, I don't have a plan, but I don't like what I'm seeing. I don't like what's going on. So I want to do something about it. And so that's when I really think like the city kind of stood with me. Right. Did you ever have any interactions with uh, Kelly Loeffler? I, like beforehand? Yeah. Like, you know, I had, she was our team owner. So she would be at the game. She would be sitting courtside like half the games, you know, so we didn't have like in-depth conversations. But when I saw her, like as we were warming up or something, I would say like, yo, what's up, boss? Like, you know, like we would have those type of interactions. <laughs> right. Okay. So what kind of changes have you been pushing for since opting out of the league in 2020? I mean, I, it's more so it's not even the changes for me is like we got to change the way we think, because if we think what we see is OK, if we think like because I just. Like I knew things were bad, but it was just like when all these things was happening during the pandemic and I had to sit still, normally I'm taking four flights a week, you know, like I'm on the go. I'm calling ESPN games. I'm calling like different games all the time. And so I'm traveling a lot, but we all kind of had it shut down in the pandemic and I'm watching the news and I'm seeing the protests literally outside my window. And I'm like, yeah, 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 it's time to turn up. Like, I don't know. It was just the fact that like, it's 2020. Why are we still dealing with this? That's more so what it was. And so the change that I was thinking was, I think that, you know, we can't protest. We can't be mad and talk all this noise on Twitter and not do something about it. And so I'm like, everybody got to get to the polls. Like we got to get new people in places because that's the problem. And so that was the changes I want to see. Like a lot of people don't like people would literally tell me, oh, sis, I'm not really into that voting stuff. But do you, though? I love what you're doing. Damn, and I, would be like, I hate oh. that shit, man. Yeah. I'm like, yo, if you really want stuff to change, you, like all the policies literally are in politics. Like we ain't in the politics and you can see why we don't like what's going on. And so, like, I don't even like politics. Like, if I'm being honest, shit, like, I'm not. Either. You know what I mean? Like, I'm <laughs> not into politics, but I felt like. We got to all be into politics a little bit at this point because it's getting wild out here. So that's kind of what I want. It's just all education based. That's everything. I'll be wanting to people like if you know better, people I think will do better. So I'll be wanting people to know better. Right, right. So then how did the summer of 2020 change your life? 
2020 changed everybody's life, man. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, like it was like I mean, think about all the stuff that was going on. We had a pandemic, and then we had like a race war going on. Sports stopped multiple times. Like that's never happened. I mean, that changed everything. I know a lot of people thought, you know, the pandemic stopped the NBA which was crazy. My baby was singing at the Hawks game that day. So I was there at the last game before the pandemic hit. And and then a lot of people thought, all right, nothing else would stop the NBA. But then they sat out for racism. Like, that's wild. If you think about sports, if people know how sports is a business, I know a lot of people are naive and they think like, oh, it's just a game. Sports is like the biggest business ever. Like it's business. Everything they do is business motivated. So think about racism stopping a big business is wild. And so... I just could see things was changing. I mean, athletes were starting to be like, all right, we're not worried about these sponsorships if what we say is going to mess up our endorsements because that's usually why athletes were quiet before people don't know. Like, you just kind of don't say anything because you don't want to rub your ownership wrong or you don't want to rub your sponsors wrong. You don't want to lose your check. And it was just kind of like athletes were like, nah, this is it. That's enough of that. And everybody just started saying how they felt. And I was right along in that bunch talking noise. I was on that Kyrie call, that infamous Kyrie call that everybody talked about. I heard your favorite athlete arguing, not even arguing, <laughs> but talking to your other favorite athlete about how can we create the most change? They were like, we got a lot of money. What can we do with it? I'm like, this is crazy conversations I'm hearing. And so like all of that going on just like made me realize like athletes have a lot of influence. And so For how sure. you want to like, how do you want to use it? That's kind of how I started thinking. You know, it's funny, and, and um, this was not part of the interview at all. Just you made me think about something, and uh, I decided to avoid it. You know, sometimes I'm like, look, I'm never going to be the bigger man. Me, never. I'm the pettiest motherfucker <laughs> you know. So I got into it the other day with a dude who's uh, worth almost like a billion dollars, right? Powerful, uh, white supremacist type dude. Uh, I have no problem saying that. I've done enough research and to say that comfortably. But like, there were certain things, you know, and just by coincidence, an hour Maybe less than an hour before, I had talked about, yo, I got brand partnerships with Remy Martin, you know, Snickers, this, 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 the Dodgers, Lakers, boom. You know, you tell me who else is doing this in a minority space of just never being from this type of world, like blah, blah, blah. So I get into argument with this dude. We started talking shit, you know, boom, I delete the tweets because I'm like, yo, man, fuck this, whatever. And I wasn't delete because I was scared, but it was more so like, I was like, you know what, man, it's stupid. Fuck it, I don't want it in the universe. Great, you little cornballs fucking screenshotted it. But then they hit one of my major corporate sponsors, and it was a major, enormous, huge American brand. So my agent hits me, and he goes, hey, man, uh, you know, we're going to be in a situation like this. And I was like, look, this is the situation I'm in. Now, look, I know I might have been petty and said what I said, but check this out. This is my situation. So he's a little worried about it. I'm with an enormous sports agency. I'm with XL Sports Management, you know, and they represent 15% of the fucking NBA, Derek Jeter, Tiger Woods. You know, it's a big agency. You know, I'm the... I'm one of three people who are not professional players, athletes that are represented by them. So, yeah, you be getting some wild athletic type deals. Yeah. It'd be like he's partnering with who? Like it's the wildest deals. I mean, just think. Um, haven't ever been a pro. I have an NFL, NBA, and now MLS endorsements. You know what I mean? I'm in the NBA 2K game like that. But so, I call my agent. I don't wait for him to call me back. He's like, we got to find out what's up. The attorneys are talking. I'm like, over some tweets? And I get it. I was like, you know what? Check this out. So I called back. I said, peep game, check this out. I'm about to refund the money. And he's like, Ben, it's a lot of money. I said, I know how much it is. I know it's a lot of money. 
guess what? I'm going to return the money. I'm going to go on the podcast and I'm going to tell them, fuck them. And anybody who don't believe what the fuck I believe in, fuck this check. Because you know what, dog? I'm not about to let this fucking dude be on some fucking, like, just really be on some Trump type shit. To, no, I'm like, nah, I'm cool. And he's like, Ben, relax. No, no, no. Check it out. Look, we're going to, I was like, no, listen, you guys are trying to threaten me to act a certain way. And I get it. I'm not telling people, hey, go kill kids, go rob people. and do. I'm not saying that. I stood up against a dude who's a known racist against not just people, but I'm talking about he said some crazy outlandish shit about Asians or whatever. Fuck this dude. So if they want to take away my paper because of that and they don't, they're scared, fuck them. And See, that's the exact dilemma. Like you literally described the exact dilemma that athletes typically, like if you are wondering why an athlete doesn't speak up, that's why. Like, because that will legit, people will want to cut the check like cut off the check, I should say, and like try to stop how you moving. Like that's crazy. But so we worked it out and they're like, nah, let's everything calm down. Let's just push the release about a week back. It's like, all right, cool. Cause look, man, I ain't playing that shit no more. Like, and I know that can help, you know, just like, you know, I want my kids, kids to be good, whatever. I'm just like, look, but at the same time, like y'all don't rock with me, man, and fuck out of here. You know? I mean, that's what you gotta get to. That mode where it's just like you good with or without whoever's money. Like that's <laughs> That's kind of how it, I mean, you're going to be straight anyway, but I mean, as an athlete. I'm just saying though, you know. No, but as an athlete, that's a decision athletes legit be having to make. Like, all right, do I want this money or not? Or should I just let these tweets fly? Like, and in 2020, athletes was letting it fly. I mean, James Harden was like, I'm out. Like, he wasn't even pulling with Houston. He was like, I'm out. Like, athletes really just started to be like, it's a wrap. Cool. So let's pivot. Um you know, you're a hero to so many people. I just started realizing more talking to Paul. By the way, shout out to PG. Um, shout out to my VP, Paul. <laughs> so, you know, how has your life changed since becoming an owner? It's different, man. I'm going to tell you what was crazy. <laughs> I received like four bottles of Dom as congratulations. I never had Dom before in my whole life. And I'm like, oh, so is this like, this is the world I'm living in now? So that was different because nice. it's like, yeah, it's like the pe- you know, just the gifts were different. The the people I'm talking to, regularly talking to millionaires, that's different. I mean, you know, like, and it's weird because I have a lot of athlete friends who are millionaires, but it's different when you're talking to like them business moguls that are millionaires and you're having different type of conversations. Deals you're talking about are bigger. It's just everything is on a different scale. And so for me, it was interesting because I had done, you know, I really like, I'm very hands-on with my deals already. So even when we're negotiating, like I just negotiated one deal for myself. Like I just feel like very, like, like I, I like to talk about it and tell people so they know how I feel, what I want, what they want. And so this is just the same thing, but it's just on a way bigger scale. But, you know, for me, it's lit. You know, this is, I wanted to be in these rooms. I want to be talking about these deals. Like, you know, like we need to be doing different things that, these NBA teams are doing with influencers. And so that's where I'm at. Like, that's kind of the world I wanted to be in. But it's crazy when you're living that at 34. You know, that's that's what's really great. It's amazing. So pivot again. How are you enjoying being a podcaster? Right. You got two shows, Remotely Renee, and then you got Take Line. Like, what are those shows about so that uh, my listeners could understand? And I want all you guys to subscribe to both of her shows. I'm not playing with y'all. Listen, you need to subscribe <laughs> to both their shows. But how do you like podcasting? Yeah, podcasting is different. You know, like, I don't know why we even call it podcasting anymore. These are TV shows at this point. Like, <laughs> they are. There's whole 
productions. There's in like I just literally had content day today, and I interviewed like three or four people today, and that's what I do for my TV show WNBA Weekly on NBA TV. The same thing we do at TMZ Sports, where I'm a co-host. So it's like I got more shows, but podcasting's dope because it's like it's like this world, this digital, it's digital TV shows, and so. People are not really fooling with cable. I don't even have cable. So just to be honest, I don't have cable. I'm a subscriber. I got the subscriptions, Netflix, Hulu, all of that. So that's me. But a lot of people are like me. And so this podcast world, there's money there. You know, there's sponsors there. It's like you create a show on whatever you want to create it on. Um, So for Remotely Renee, it's just like a lot of people ask me like my life and, and how things work. So my manager... Paul Garino, he's on Remotely Renee. He's a co-host. My sister, Nicole Young, she's a co-host. My mom is on there. And anybody knows moms have different, that's a different generation. So they say whatever they want to say when they want to say it. And that's (laughs) just how they feel. So I knew she had to be on the show so she could talk her talk. Um, And it's just, we talk sports. We talk a lot about sports business, like deals that athletes are making out here, you know, um, I don't even know if it's like, I look, I hope this stuff isn't a secret that I'm saying to you, but I just linked up with a company called Buzzer. And there's a lot of athletes that invested along with me. And it's like crazy. Like these athletes is making some huge business moves. I'm looking at what they invested. I'm like, I got to get my paper up. First of all, like this is all I can do this time, but catch me next round. But it's athletes is out here making some like major money moves no, and sure. companies and stuff. So we talk a lot about that on remotely. And then for take line, we talk a lot about that social aspect of athletes. Like what are they standing for? What happened? The stuff that you wouldn't be able to talk about on a sports show on network television. That's kind of what we talking about on take line on our show. Cause it's where sports and culture meet. So it's pretty cool. I'm submerged in the sports world, been an athlete my whole life. And so now one is like, more sports business and one is like for the culture no oh, nice you know that's what podcasting you know I, I came in like all right okay cool we're gonna do this we ain't gonna talk about jewelry that's why it's behind the baller you know what i'm saying it's me as a dad me as a husband is but as a businessman and and how i've you know pivoted and and done different things and uh, as an entrepreneur and you know what kind of free game can i share with my listeners and things like that so trust me i, I never in a million People years don't still- think you're just a jeweler right like i mean i would ho- i mean you know like, some I people hope that's not a thing like people ain't crazy are they i mean you know like when people are like wondering like hey wait a second this guy has his own little mini fridge he has a uh you know barbecue grill he has this this and this and i mean you were talking about don perignon i did a collaboration i have a bon- ben baller don perignon bottle like i've done <laughs> so many different collabs but like at the same time i just felt like yo look why not fuck it you know i'm proud that my kids are like yo Hey, I know that logo. I know the logo. I'm proud of my kids to see me on a 15 foot billboard of my face. I'm like, hey, daddy, you know, it's you. I'm, I'm proud for them. You know what I mean? Because, you know, there's just not a lot of yellow people on the walls and TV. Unless it's like martial arts and it's the same bullshit. You know, I'm like, bro, I don't even do motherfucking karate. What <laughs> fuck is you talking about, man? You know? <laughs> but, um. <laughs> man, you know, you are a wild man, but you're right. There is not that representation. I'm so, being dead like, ass serious, man. My parents don't own no fucking liquor store. I never had no laundromat or no manicure. I'm just being real. Look, I've been me and I've always been me, right? And I've always, and, and it's cool. And, and you know, I'm on like, I'm at the end of my run. You know, I'm ready to just be really, because I, I got my late, my, my personal life, my fatherhood started late with me, right? My wife is 11 years younger than me, you know? And like, 
I just want to be a full-time dad. I want to raise them. What do they want? You know, I mean, I don't think my son's going to be an athlete, even though he's tall for his age and whatever. But like, it's cool. Whatever's going to make him happy. I don't want to push him too hard or whatever. I just, I just love being a dad. And that's why, you know, I wanted to share that, you know, in my podcast. That's goals. Like, I hope, and that's not corny. Like, you know, I know how y'all be saying washed. Y'all taking back the washed chronicles. <laughs> that's goals. Like, what? Like, that's like the legit goals. Make enough money that you can retire and basically be with the fam and just live your best life. Come on now. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. So, we got the NBA playoffs going on right now. You know what I'm saying? I did see that you're broadcasting for these NBA playoffs. And, and you know what? The couple times that I've seen you on when I'm catching random games here and there, Look, I know a lot of people, obviously, right? I'm friends with Shaq for fucking, we've been friends for almost 30 years. I've known, you know, I know a bunch of the broadcasters. I don't really get hype. But when I seen you talking, I took screen. I was like, oh shit, they're going Renee on TV. Cool, you know? So, let's go. Are you excited for your Hawks? Like, do you think they can make it listen, out of the East? <laughs> yeah, like, listen, the Hawks haven't been to the playoffs in a minute. Everybody knows. And what irony, neither have the Knicks. So it's like the butt of every joke. You know, we see the Atlanta sports jokes all the time. You know, the Falcons and the Hawks, and we get it. Uh, but it's lit because I actually think that, like, this is the first year, but I think that, first of all, every ESPN analyst picked the Knicks. What is going on over there at ESPN? Secondly, I think that we haven't been healthy all season. So it's going to be lit to see our team come together all of the pieces that we got in the offseason that people said we paid too much money for. And then Bogey is having like the best career year of his life. Crazy. Yeah, it's going to be exciting, man. I'm, you know, I'm all the way Atlanta. So I'm biased. And I know I'm biased in this case. But in my unbiased analyst role, I really do think that the Hawks are like winning seven. Nothing crazy, but we're going to win in seven, I think. Okay, shit. There it is. And as we pivot for the final time, how did you come up with the idea and the design for your NFT? I just saw it. Paul sent it to me. That shit is fire. Listen, congrats to your NFTs, too. I saw you dropped yours, that gold, you know, the you the, the gold drip all over it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, this is just what you do, but I see what you be doing uh, um, with your stuff. Listen, I just thought about, and this is this is real talk and no shade to to the other people, even though it's just, I saw that a lot of people were releasing NFTs, but it looked like it was rushed or it looked like there could have been more built out to it. And so I'm like, all right, we should do our own and I'm going to make it like lit things and things that happen in my career. So I have one that I've won six championships in my career. So I have a six rings one. And then I opt my opt out tweet that kind of changed my whole life. That's one. Um, I hold the record in the WNBA for most threes made in a half. So boom, we had to make one for that. Uh, my retirement, you know, that was a moment. Everybody, you know, no one saw that coming, made that an NFT. So I did my starting five. I had my jerseys, Moments Equal Momentum jerseys out here. So we did five big moments in my career, in my life to this point. We called it my starting five. Hello, basketball. And we're not, <laughs> we're not re-releasing them. So I want to tell people that too, because, you know, it's not going to be one of those things where it gets watered down. Like the starting five is coming out once, one time only. We're not adding other ones to it. We have some one of ones. We have some one of 11s for 11 year pro career that I have. We have one of 21s when it comes to the jersey. And that's my jersey number. But, man, I'm just trying to see something. I see a lot of a lot of people supporting male sports. And they say because they like different styles. They like the dunking and the women are doing that. But when it comes to this NFT stuff and this digital stuff, 
I want to see people support it. Like, I, I want to see what they think about it. Like, judge it by how it looks. We got international designers that got down on these and 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 worked it out. So I want to see people. I, I just want to see what it's about. Like, I want to get your real opinion, too. If Have you already seen them? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I mean, they're fire. And uh, it took me a very long time to get mine going and to incorporate one thing to make it make sense with my partner, Nick, who I collab with. And I was like, look, dog. I need like this ball to be regulation side. I need to be dripping in gold. I got a lot of things going on. Boom. I'll fuck this. How long is it going to take us to make some tangible items? We go and what they call in the NFT world would be a lockable item, meaning you actually, because it's digital, but I want to hand people a tangible item. So I was like, can we call Spalding? Can we call Will? Can we? Because I was about to do a deal with Wilson and then do a deal with Spalding, get my own, you know, Ben Ball did the ball. And I was like, no, fuck this. For the NFT, we going to do gold balls. You know what I mean? I want them to look, I had to look at the texture. I wanted to look at the exact Pantone color. I'm like, yeah, this is yellow gold. This looks like gold. So, you know, I mean, thank you. And, and I like it, but this is about you. So um, by the time this podcast airs, right, it'll be out. So what platform is the NFT dropping on? Yeah, it's on OpenSea. Um, and yeah, we're going to do an auction and, and yours, you had that drip. I, I just like for me, this is a new endeavor. You know, I'm new into the I'm in the crypto world, you know, got crushed. Part of the Dodge gang, Dodge army, whatever's yes, happening. Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry. Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry. Oh, you know, I, you good. And so I was just, you know, like I'm new in this whole tech crypto world, but I like it and I like to see where it's going. No, nah, we're good. Listen, I want to tell you something real quick. Tell me. In my last episode, I just dropped, like, I really, most episodes I do, but I break it down, like, look, Doge is good, I'm telling you, we have a, we really have a really bright future with smart contracts coming up, Coinbase is about to list it, a couple more exchanges are listing it, Tesla is going to make a very big announcement soon, because Elon's been working with the, with the Dogecoin developers for almost, you know, two years now, and there's some good things, so I'm, I'm glad you're, the Doge community is also a very positive, good community, too, so it's great. Love to see it. We love to see it. So that's why I said I hopped up on one of their Twitter spaces. I don't even know what I'm talking about yet, but they were so welcoming. I'm like, okay, it's lit here in these crypto streets. So yeah, I'm, <laughs> trying to, I'm just trying to do some things that are different, man. You just don't see a lot of athletes doing different things. And so I'm trying to step out of, you know how you was like, I don't want to just be jewelry. Like, so I'm trying to step out of that sports only space and be business, be crypto, be tech. And, and so this is the first steps. Well, Renee, really do thank you for coming on here. The last question that I ask every single guest that's ever been on this show is, is there anything that you'd like to ask me? Oh my gosh, I like that. <laughs> can I ask like a two-part question? You can ask a two-part question, whatever you feel like. All right, do you think that you can make anything hot? Like, so if somebody brought you any product, even if it's not the best product, do you think you can make anything go? I mean... There are points in times where, yes, I'm on fire and I feel like, look, you could bring me some uh, used toilet paper rolls and we just going to make this shit sell out. You know, like, I don't know. You know, I have a pretty really loyal fan base, which is great. I, you know, I pick and choose what I'm going to do. A lot of people propose, you know, they hit me up with ideas like, hey, would you like to collab with us with this, this and us? I'm like, and to be honest with you, probably 95% of the time I say no, you know, because I'm very critical about what's going on because with the youth today... They're like, oh, 26, you old. Oh, 30? Oh, man, you washed up. Girl, oh, my God. I'm just saying, you know, the way, you know, how these kids, the young rappers and things and whatever. And it's like, look, I'm ancient compared to that. And each year that's gone by, I've become more relevant. So with that said, I'm very, very picky about what I do choose to attach to my namesake, my brand. So, you know, yes and no. I don't know. You know, it's, it's kind of, 
you know? So <laughs> what's the second part of the question then? The second part of the question is, can we do a collab down the line? Like when it makes sense, like it don't have to be right now. Cause I'm all about when things make sense, but I would like to do a collab because I see that you were in the same spaces for different things, but I would want it to be something crazy different, you know, like not, not something regular. So let me tell you something real quick. So I've done some amazing collaborations. I've done some that were cool too. And one recent one I did with uh, Remy Martin and uh, you know, they're a great cognac brand. They're big and everything. And they were like, hey, listen, uh, we want to do a keys to the city type thing. We want to make these things. And I made these iced out keys, right? And I made them look more vintage style. They weren't like new, modern. And they asked me, they're like, hey, uh, you know, can you pick two cities? And I was like, you know, of course you're going to want me to pick LA. So you don't have to pick LA and boom. But I was like, but is LA an option? It wasn't really. They were kind of leaning towards Chicago. And I was like, look, fuck it. It is what it is. It's like, okay, well, give me one city that you want to do. And everyone thought I was going to say Seattle or New York. Uh-huh. And I chose Atlanta. Come and, on. And they were like, okay, so, you know, when I printed on the key, you know, I think back to like the the early 90s when, you know, it was called Hotlanta, you know, and and I made an Atlanta key. And I was like, yo, because the people there, the food, everything, what's going on there, they're really their own bubble. You know, like one thing I see about ATL people, they support each other. You know, if you think of T.I., Big Boy, and, you know, all the rappers, Outkast and whatever, 2 Chains, all Atlanta people are kind of like, they're really like, you know, in a fraternity. You know, if they're from different parts of Atlanta, they're all, you know, they're all cool with each other. So um, with that said, and I know it's your home, you're not from there, but what I'm saying is, look, one, in short, the answer, yes, fuck yes. Uh, two, I just would love to figure out, because you do so many things that are so positive. And me, I'm kind of like, you know, let's say I don't do positive things. I, mean, I have charities I don't even speak about, and I have nonprofits that I do. I just do it because I do it. You know, I don't, it's funny because you would think like, okay, well, shit, Ben brags about the uh, being a car enthusiast or diamonds, whatever. But I'm just like, yo, that's cool and everything. But I don't ever really brag about the charity stuff because I feel like, yo, you know, I'm just, I'm just doing it. So whatever it is, I feel like creative wise, I, I definitely would love to input everything. But the overall general collab, I think if you came up with something really dope and I feel like you have a lot of ideas, I'd be with it. And sure, 100%, I'm in. Lit. I don't even have an idea yet. <laughs> but now that you gave me the green light, I'll think on that because that's dope. Yeah, like let's do something positive for the community. I'm with it. I'm with it. I'm with it. All right, Ben, listen, thank you for having me on here for real, for real, because it's a vibe. It's a vibe. No, thank you. This was a fucking amazing interview and I appreciate it. You're welcome to come back anytime. And Paul, thank you for making the connection. All right, guys, we'll be right back. Yo, Miles, man, throw on some Lakey Lake real quick. And yes, sir, back with more BTB shortly. Yo, Bay Area, especially those who smoke weed. If you do not know, now you know. Tomorrow, May 25th, from 5 to 7 p.m., I am finally dropping my Ben Baller Did the Strain Weed Collection. Okay, finally. I'm dropping at Cookies in Hayward. Yes, your boy, the Korean Chris Mullen, will be in the stack 510 weapon. Okay. I will have giveaways. If you DM me on Instagram and we're in that first 50, then you're good. You got free, free giveaways and merch and everything. Some fire shit. I got collect and select coming through and everything. Got all kinds of people pulling up. 
famous TikTokers and all types of shit, okay? We will have some light refreshments, but more importantly, of course, we are going to have music and fire-ass, dank-ass weed, okay? You already know we got that cat dick, that Jonas B., and, you know, some people are like, yo, man, why why you got the bay before L.A.? Like, what's good? We're going to drop the cookies, Melrose, cookies, Maywood, and in San Diego and all that other shit. But understand, I got my first start officially with that real indica, that raw dog, that real ooey shit. That shit started with me in NorCal, okay? And my farm is in NorCal. So, you know, it, it just makes sense. You know I got love for the bay, okay? So this is where we are going to launch my motherfucking weed, Do you got a problem? Okay. Well, then talk to management, all right? And then after they tell you to go suck a dick, I need you to go to Nations in El Cerrito, get me a thick shake and a coconut cream pie. Anyways, I'm just fucking with you. Yo, listen, don't forget to tap in tomorrow with your partner, all right? 5 to 7 p.m. Tuesday night, tomorrow night in the city of Hayward at Cookies Hayward. All right, shout out to my Cookies family. Shout out to that whole motherfucking fan. All my shit burner, motherfucking Kenny Powers, and the whole nine. Um, speaking of the Bay, I'm real happy to be here right now. You know, uh, vibrations hella unmatched. Looking at the crazy ass view right now. I see the Bay Bridge. I see the motherfucking Salesforce Tower, all that shit. Um, I got to speak at uh, SF State soon in a little bit. But uh, before I do, shit, uh, sidebar. Um, I need to get my college basketball coach, Coach Thomas, on BTB. Um, That was just a fucking weird sidebar. Anyways, yo, the Warriors are out of the playoffs. They've been eliminated, and I'm like, tell you the truth, I'm kind of surprised. I'm shook. Like, you know, like you got Steph doing all these trick shots and all this other crazy shit, dancing around, you know, fucking around here and there. And it's like you do all this shit, and, like, you don't win. So, like, you know, what good was it, right? I'm just saying, like, you know, I don't know, man. That's, like, some shit that I do. Like, I'll fuck around, you know, clown here and there, boom, and get eliminated. Like, you know, like, these motherfuckers should know better. Like, oh, they weren't expecting to go this far. Fuck all that bullshit. They was playing their ass off, boom, and they fucking lost. Jaw called game. And, uh, I, like, I'm kind of bummed out because I was going to try to see a Warriors game while I'm out here. Anyways, Jaw called game on them. And then he called game last night against the number one team in the West. You know, like, I'm like, shit. But uh, a lot of games yesterday, it was a fucking fire-ass day for basketball, except my Laker game. That shit was, I mean, if you're a Suns fan, I guess it was cool. But even if I'm not a fan, like, I can judge, you know, what a game is like. And I feel like that game was all right, whatever. But bottom line, my Lake show just could not sink a shot. They just couldn't sink shots yesterday. You know, at a certain point, they play in D to doing certain things. But, you know, the Suns played better, like straight up, okay? And I think the Suns played their best how about that? But, but, there's a reason why the Lakers are favored to win this series in Las Vegas, okay? There's a reason why the betting odds makers made the Lakers a favorite. And this is the first time that a seventh seed was favored over a second seed. So just let that simmer in for a little bit, okay? You know, Lakers, we got fools that got hurt. And that's just what happened. We should have been number two, three seed, whatever. This is what happened. We ended up in motherfucking seven. Fuck it. Did the plan turning and all that shit, okay? But that Knicks game, though, okay, shit was popping in the garden, all right? MSG was super cracking. And damn, man, 
all that to get that L and that loss hurt. Like, I mean, I fuck with the Knicks. I ain't tripping, you know? Like, I don't know, man. But I bet Renee was geek. You know what I'm saying? She's a fucking, obviously, in uh, Atlanta, you know, um, not necessarily, she's not a native, as we said, but she's, she's ATL repping. But uh, the part that fucked me up more than Alec Burks acting like he was fucking Allen Houston. I thought he was Allen Houston. What the fuck was going on? The thing that fucked me up the most about that Knicks game was the vaccinated section seats at MSG versus the non-vaccinated section. Like, wow. If that's the case, yo, Staples Center, get that shit crap. Fuck that 35 shit. Put 15,000 in that bitch, okay? Because I might have to cash in on them floor seats for the playoffs here at Staples. You know what I'm saying? Like, yo, Jimmy Iovine, what's good? You know what I'm saying? Like, I need them motherfuckers. Like, the seats that I have, whatever, I'm saving my, my floor seats for, like, you know, different, like, when we can motherfucking show the kicks off and all that type of shit. But, um, of course, uh, this weekend was slow for me, you know, due to my toe still being broken. It's not getting any better anytime soon, right? So, Friday night, I take a shower. And, uh, you know, I get it real full of shower and, you know, I take the buddy tape off, boom, here and there. And when I get out... Of all fucking things, of all places and everything, I hit the same broken, fractured pinky toe against the fucking bathroom door, okay? And I screamed. I had to sit down butt naked with a towel kind of covering me on my bed, and I cried literally for 20 fucking minutes, okay? I actually called fucking urgent care, and I was like, look, hey, man, like, this is the situation. I almost had to go back to the fucking ER. It was that bad. Right. And the doctor who examined me, she was like, hey, it's six to eight weeks. You know, if, you know, I would say a little sooner, but, you know, uh, you know, you fucked your shit up again. We'll see what happens. And so I found some cream I could put. I'm trying to get some acupuncture today here in Chinatown. And uh, I don't know, man, I, I really hope I didn't fuck it up because, you know, I, that's going to fuck up my whole Cabo shit. And I'm just trying to get better. OK. Anyways, I just chilled at the crib. You know, um, I couldn't go to Legoland with my family. So my wife brought her parents and, uh, you know, my wife and kids went to Legoland. They had a lit time. You know, sad to not go, but, you know, I got to chill at the crib and kind of collect my thoughts, get some, some like, uh, computer work done. Uh, the homie Scott pulled up on me. Uh, that would be a.k.a. Kid Cudi. So Kid Cudi pulled up to the crib, and he pulled up with a pound of Skywalker OG. This motherfucker pulls up with, like, a $5,000 LV backpack, pulls out a pound. Like, you ever see what a pound looks like in, like, a plastic bag? Like, Pulled out a pound of Skywalker OG Kush, and we smoked until the both of us was passed out. Ordered some motherfucking Postmates and was passed the fuck out. We watched that new movie, uh, Army of the Dead. That shit was uh, high-key fire, right? I, I definitely recommend. Uh, and then uh, I got some videos of uh, Cuddy's new uh, Bape X, Cuddy X G-Shock on my Instagram Reels. I posted it on my Instagram Reels, and uh, it got a million views, Okay. <laughs> I have only posted five reels since that reels option came out, which is kind of like the fake TikTok, right? Like ever since reels have come out, I don't know when it was, but I've only posted five reels total. And I think those five were this year. Like I'm trying to just kind of fuck with it. But this was the first time that one of my reels hit a million, you know, hit a milli, million views. I know some of y'all, fuck you guys. All right. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, Saturday, while Cuddy's passed out, I was channel surfing and uh, I came across Million Dollar Listing New York. Shout out to my boy, uh, Ryan Serhant. I'm actually doing his podcast. I did it, but I guess it's Aaron later. I don't know what the fuck, whatever. Anyways, random as hell. 
that I see my boys, Mark Jacobs and Char. Yes, that Mark Jacobs, right? And they're all in there selling their house. And Char shouts me out on the fucking show. Like, real talk, my name, boom, Ben Baller, 22 karat diamond grills. And I was like, what the fuck? Yes, Char is a motherfucking man showing off his expensive ass grills. If you ever get to meet Char, don't think he's like a shy dude or anything. For the first time, he just don't talk that much because his conversation is very expensive. I'm just fucking with you guys. <laughs> Anyways, um, Sunday, I watched NBA all day, ate barbecue. My fucking wife came into the room. Me and Ryder were sleeping and uh, they got back late Saturday night. Wife sleep, wake me up at fucking six in the morning. I went to bed on a fucking Saturday at like one or two in the morning. And I'm like, what the fuck? Wake up to a cramp, like the worst cramp. My fucking calf, I couldn't even move. I'm like, what the fuck? She's videotaping and shit. Happy birthday, Ryder, da, da, da. He's like, oh, I have to shit, whatever. But yeah, uh, we got barbecue from uh, this place in Burbank called Ribs USA. Um, no carbs still, by the way, no carbs. I'm on that Cabo diet. You know, I got to get them fucking Amiri swim trunks on. I'm down eight pounds so far. I got about 14 pounds to go. I'm very proud of myself. Very, very proud of myself. And, um, but yeah, uh, have you seen that picture of Bill Gates? Like in the last 48 hours, what Bill Gates looked like? That motherfucker looked like me right now. Oh, he looked like me two weeks ago. Anyways, Ryder's birthday was real chill. You know, we had all the family here. Uh, my mom pulled up, whatever, and uh, had um, uh, Ryder's best friend came. And they're vaccinated too. So that was kind of cool. You know what I mean? He got to see his best friends. And uh, it was real chill. Last year, he was so depressed. It was a totally different story this time. We got him some Robux. You know, he got some clothes. Fear of God sent him to fly shit. House of JR sent him some shit. We got him a Doge t-shirt. He got his very first PC. He got a gaming PC laptop, like an HP shit lit. It was really nice. We made him a custom Dogecoin cake. And by the way, the cake was actually delicious. How did I know? Because I took a fucking bite, you judgmental fucking pricks, okay? Don't you know it's bad luck not to have a taste of your kid's B-Day cake? <laughs> but anyways, yo, man, my son turned seven and fucked me up. Ryder says the craziest shit. He's literally a mirror image of me with personality and everything. And it's just crazy, man. I love that boy so much. I love all my kids. That's why I go so hard in life. But yo, that is all the time we got today, BTB Army. Sorry, but yeah, I got to do some meetings here in the city. And uh, I can't wait to meet any BTB Army listener that comes up to me tomorrow and says, I heard your podcast episode. And uh, just tell, just say, Chupapi Munyeno. Say Chupapi Munyeno to me tomorrow if you see me, and I'm going to give you something, okay? Um, I will see you guys at Cookies Hayward tomorrow. Do not forget to buy my Tatis card. Okay. Oh yeah. My gold Kingsford barbecue grill is pushed back a week or so. It is now dropping in early June. We are Gucci. Don't trip. It's going to sell the fuck out. It is the craziest fucking item I've ever come out with. But yo, mad love to all my listeners. Please subscribe. If you're listening to this right now, just hit that subscribe button. It helps me out tremendously. Okay. And it helps me get more fire guests on the show. And it also helps Miles and Jordan, a.k.a. the Dust Brothers. Speaking of which, DBP Posse, please take us all out of here with a nice Lakey Lake beat. That's it, y'all. Peace.